I think we all know how difficult it can be to communicate with one another. Uh, Each and every day we say things and hope others understand us well, at least understand what we mean to say. Um, So, for example, if I said, it was so cheesy, uh, I might be talking about the macaroni cheese at Thanksgiving. Um, I might also be talking about the jokes at Thanksgiving, um, both of which were very cheesy. Sometimes even those who are charged with communicating or translating uh, struggle. So St. Jerome, who's best known for his translation of the Bible into Latin in the 4th century, uh, had a very famous mistranslation. Uh, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, uh, his face shines with brilliance. The word is Quran. Um, there we go. Unfortunately, he read this as Karen. You could see where that might happen, which has a very different meaning of horns. So you have a long tradition of Moses being depicted with horns, uh, including a very famous sculpture by Michelangelo. Probably not what he was going for. Today we'll be looking at how one word dramatically affected how people worshipped God and what Jesus had to say about it. We're still trying to figure out what to do with this word and how it affects our walk with God. And that word is Sabbath. So that leads us to our text for today. We'll be in Mark 2, 23, going through Mark 3, 6. So you can follow along with Bibles in front of you or with the screen. Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand, They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word Sabbath most likely derives from a Hebrew word meaning stop or cease or keep. It's come to mean the seventh day of, a week, of the week, a time where one rests and relies fully on God. This comes from uh, God's own resting on the seventh day of creation. 
And this idea of Sabbath is so important that it works its way into the Ten Commandments. Um, We have, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is where the Pharisees come in. They're a group of Jews who are set apart to protect the law. The law we just read. Um, Pharisees often get a bad rap because they end up going head-to-head with Jesus, and really they uh, don't come out on top. But they're attempting to live a faithful life. So when they read the Ten Commandments, there's an important word that directly affects how they and the rest of the Jewish community can obey God's command and properly observe the Sabbath. Work something I think we're all familiar with. The question is, what is work? Rabbis debated this quite a lot. Um, And in the Mishnah, which is an ancient source of rabbinic writings, they came up with 39 distinct categories of work that's forbidden on the Sabbath, with several hundred subcategories. Some of those uh, main categories included anything that had to do with the preparing of bread, So uh, planting wheat, harvesting wheat, kneading dough, baking it, you name it. If it had to do with bread, that's out. Um, Sewing clothes, construction, erasing, carrying anything, untying knots, or tying knots for that matter. These are all things that are specifically prohibited. But not only should you avoid those, you should avoid anything that resembles those actions, lest they be confused for them. Or anything that's connected to those actions or anything that often leads to those actions. It's really building up a, building a fence here around those things. Um, One of my favorite examples was uh, you shouldn't climb a tree, not because climbing a tree is wrong, but because if you climb a tree, you might break a branch, which is essentially pruning, which is essentially harvesting. Um, Makes sense. Uh, We can laugh about this now, but um, this is meant to protect the law, to protect the Sabbath, to keep it holy. This is done because they took the commandments very seriously. And they shouldn't be faulted for taking serious the commands of God. One explanation I heard about work and Sabbath is quite beautiful. So, for six days, God created the world. All of that work. And on the seventh day, God rested. Humanity being made in God's image, we're able to work for six days, creating things, um, turning wood and metal into new objects, building structures and buildings where there was nothing, um, planting and harvesting bread, (laughs) making bread. But on the seventh day, we rest as a reminder that we are not God. God is God. We are the creatures. God is the creator. So the Sabbath is there to remind us of who we are. It keeps us firmly rooted. I think this is a beautiful image. 
albeit a very difficult one to enact. It takes intentionality. Um, it takes forethought. But we worship a God who deserves these things from us. And this is why the Pharisees are so upset when they see Jesus and the disciples. These men are clearly disrespecting the law and therefore disrespecting God. Jesus and his disciples weren't intentional. They didn't have the forethought into gathering enough food so they didn't have to do anything on the Sabbath. And this is where things start to get a little messy. Jesus begins his reply to the Pharisees by mentioning a story of David from 1 Samuel 21, where David is in desperate need of food. So he eats the bread reserved by law for the priests. Interestingly, this reply doesn't mention Sabbath at all. The one thing that these two stories seem to share in common is that hungry people ate, which is a good lesson, I think. But in both cases, human need takes precedence over ritual formalities. I'll say that again. Human need takes precedence over ritual formalities. Maybe a, a different way. Uh, caring for humanity is more important to Jesus than being religious. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus would rather meet the tangible needs of the people around him, including hunger, than meet the expectations placed on him from the religious community. The Sabbath is no, expect, no exception here. But the passage doesn't stop here. The second half of it, Mark 3, we see Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath. The stakes have now been raised. We're on the Pharisees' home court. So what does Jesus do? He heals a man with a deformed hand. This seems like a good thing to do. I know if I were the man with that hand, I would think it was a great thing to do. And as is expected by now, the Pharisees see this and they are outraged. But Jesus poses an interesting question to them. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? Their response? Silence. Obviously, doing harm or killing on the Sabbath is forbidden, uh, but then again, it's forbidden in general, not just on the Sabbath. So doing good seems to be part of the point of the law, and that's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. So, therefore, you know, those are desirable actions you would want to do. But what about the Sabbath? How does that work into it? This question that Jesus raises gets to the root of the matter. How do you define Sabbath? The Pharisees here are defining the Sabbath by what you cannot do. They make long lists of what not to do in order to keep the Sabbath holy and work free. Jesus is redefining the Sabbath as what you should do. The Pharisees are blinded by all of the should-nots that they cannot see what is right. The natural question to ask at this point is, uh, what do we do with the Sabbath? What do we as 21st century Christians do with the Sabbath? There's no shortage of answers. You have 
books and blogs and sermons uh, that try to address this topic. They ask questions like, uh, does the Sabbath have to be on the Saturday or the Sunday? Or does it have to be a full 24 hours? Uh, Can it be part of multiple days? Does it have to be weekly? Can it be less than a week? Can it be more than a week? Um, What's considered work? What's considered rest? Uh, Where does technology fit into all of this? Some of these questions you may have thought of before, or maybe you're thinking about them now. Um, I don't have answers for these questions, though. Unfortunately, there's no one-size-fits-all answer. They are reasonable questions and do deserve some consideration. But there's something bigger that must inform how we answer them. Jesus didn't really care about the answers that the Pharisees gave to these questions. And having a strict set of laws of how to Sabbath didn't seem to interest him. So with all of that in mind... uh, Let's get a working definition of Sabbath without getting too bogged down in the details. There's not 39 um, points here. There's just three. The Sabbath is a holy time set apart for rest. It's an acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. And it's a spiritual discipline that God instituted for our benefit. You might think this definition is too relaxed. Um, It doesn't actually provide any type of requirement for people to Sabbath. Um, This is partially true. But this definition doesn't get us off the hook. Um, If anything, I think it means we need to be asking where we can practice Sabbath more. Christians in the United States do not have the problem of Sabbathing too much. Uh, uh, Seems like an easy thing to say. So if you're thinking, would X be too much, uh, the answer is likely no, it's probably not. But try. See where God meets you, then reevaluate. This definition also doesn't mention what not to do. So that also means it lacks a sense of shame and guilt. Sabbath probably looks slightly different for each person here today. So if someone wants to, say, uh, not check their email for 24 hours, great, go for it. Um, But if there's a good reason to check your email during that time, uh, then maybe you should. Ask yourself, is this a good thing? Is this something I need to do right now? So if uh, it might be, and that's okay. If you do something you were trying to avoid on the Sabbath, the response shouldn't be to feel like you are a terrible Christian or a bad human being. It doesn't look like Jesus felt any uh, guilt or shame about getting food on the Sabbath. Instead, you acknowledge it as a need and you move forward. Remember, Jesus cared more about human needs than being religious. So if the rules we make are getting in the way of our relationship with God, Maybe the rules need to change. We're all called to practice Sabbath. That much is clear, and there's no way around it. But Jesus didn't outline strict policies and procedures of what this looks like. He proclaimed himself Lord of the Sabbath. Worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath is not relegated to a certain day of the week 
or certain actions or certain time frame. It's an acknowledgement that Christ the King rules over all. This includes Sabbath. This includes resting. And that includes what's necessary. And we're called to participate in that kingdom with praise and service and even with rest. So how can you find rest and engage with the practice of Sabbath? Where can you intentionally give your time to God in order to rest and bask in the glory of our creator? What does Sabbath look like in your life? And what does grace and freedom look like in the midst of Sabbath? What is God trying to communicate to you about rest? And what's your life communicating to God about your rest and about Sabbath? At times, uh, we all may struggle with communication, with translation. But know that the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of all creation, will help us as we sort through what it means to have rest in our lives. As you reflect on these questions, remember that God cares about your needs over and above what your spiritual practices look like. One of the needs everyone has is rest. And God cares about that. He deeply cares about it. So let's spend a few moments resting and thinking and praying about how we can grow closer to God through Sabbath. Sabbath.